You're listening to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, episode number 16, What You Need to Know About Adoption Attorneys, with Mark McDermott. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder. I'm an adoptive dad of two. This is the show all about domestic infant adoption. This is where we give you the resources, the inspiration, the hope to get through the adoption journey. Make it less stressful for you, shorten the time, decrease the costs. I mean, this show is all about helping you become the mom and dad that you want to be through adoption. So welcome to another episode. I'm excited to bring to you today all about uh, adoption attorneys and what it means to adopt through an attorney and if you even need one. But first of all, I wanted to to invite you to go over to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash welcome. And I got four free adoption resources for you. These are downloadable, instant downloadable resources that will help you save the time, money, and stress, just like I talked about. There are four different ways that you can do it. And um, I'll just let you go there and check it out for yourself. It's infantadoptionguide.com forward slash welcome. So in this episode, as I said, you're going to learn all about adoption attorneys, who they are, what they do, what it's like to adopt through an attorney. So we have on the show today is Mr. Mark McDermott. He's an adoption attorney out of the DC area and he's going to, he's an adoptive dad himself and he's going to share all about uh, what it means to adopt through an attorney, a little bit about adoption law. I mean, it's a huge topic and it's huge because as we talk about in the interview, there's every state has different adoption laws, whether it be good or bad, that's the way it is right now. So to, for you to understand that is really to understand that you need help and to get the help is to get the right attorney. And that's what we're going to talk about in the uh, podcast today. So let's get into that interview right now with Mr. Mark McDermott. Okay, everybody on the line today, we have Mark McDermott. He's a part of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. He's an adoptive dad. He's an an adoption attorney based in Washington, D.C., and a past president of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, and also a board member of uh, Families for Private Adoption. So we're talking today all about uh, adoption attorneys and what it's, it's like to adopt with an adoption attorney. So welcome, Mark, to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. Thanks a lot, Tim. Great to have you. I, I know adoption law uh, is so sporadic and hard to understand because all the states have different adoption laws. Maybe some are similar, but it seems to me from where I'm sitting as an adoptive dad that there are <laughs> almost every one of them is different. Is that your take on adoption law in general? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That's one of the things that we struggle with on a daily basis is the dramatic difference from the, of, of the laws from state to state. Yeah, absolutely. And so today on the podcast, we really just want to open everybody's eyes of what a little bit about adoption law and what it means, and then really what it's like to adopt using an adoption attorney. I think a lot of people assume you have to go through an agency and no matter where you live, and that's not always the case. In some cases it is. There, there are laws that strictly only allow babies to be placed uh, directly with agencies, but that's not always the case. So I'd like to just ask you, first of all, what's the process uh, when adopting a baby in the U.S. through an adoption attorney like yourself? 
Well, uh, Tim, this gets us back to your initial point about the difference in state laws. So the, the answer to the question depends upon uh, what state law is being used. Um, in, um, in the majority of states, um, uh, you can't have a paid intermediary put you together with a birth parent unless that uh, person that's being paid is licensed as an agency. So, so the attorney, um, in, in the states where I practice, that's the case. So what I do is meet with my clients, unless they're lucky enough to already be connected, um, and spend some time talking to them about how to search through word of mouth and advertising and using the Internet, things like that. Um, and then the, uh, an attorney like myself can provide as much support as they want, as the clients want them to do um, as they're going through the process. They just cannot be the person that connects them with the, with the birth parent. Now, um, there's a, that, and that's the majority of the states that have a similar law. Um, there are, there's a substantial minority of the states where uh, attorneys can, um, uh, can match people. So um, the answer to your question in large part um, has to do with what, uh, what state they're in, what state law is going to be controlling in their case. Absolutely. And the states that you are in is uh, obviously, well, in, you're in Washington, D.C., Maryland, is it Virginia? Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. We're all kind of part of the same city here, so I'm licensed in all three places. Okay. And so typically when you you have an adoption attorney, you would they would be licensed just in that state? Is that fair to say? Well, you know, the attorney's going to be licensed in some state, whatever, and I would recommend to your listeners that they uh, they need to start by um, retaining the services of an attorney who's um, uh, an experienced adoption attorney who's licensed in the state where the adopting parents live. That would be the starting point. Yeah, that's a good good point to make because, and I was going to ask you that here in a little bit because I think folks, when you first start out, and I was no, I was no exception to this. I didn't know there was an an attorney that was totally dedicated to adoption. You know, we started looking just around and Googling adoption attorneys or attorneys that would help us. And there's all sorts of folks that do family law and all other things and then include adoption. And then there's folks like you that only do adoption. So that's what I always recommend to folks is go through people just like you only do adoptions. Cause that's what you guys focus on and that's what you're, you specialize in and you're good at. Where do you find those kinds of adoption attorneys? Well, um, to find an attorney to do any kind of a legal work, the very best way to do that is to get a, a recommendation from somebody that you know personally who's used that same attorney for that same kind of case. Um, so sometimes that's pretty hard to do. But in the, in the case of um, finding adoption attorneys, it's, it's not that hard because there are people all over the country who have adopted who are... Um, uh, very willing to help others who are coming along in the process uh, with recommendations, um, especially if your area where you live has a, a group like the one you alluded to, Tim, which is one we're lucky to have, which is Families for Private Adoption. Yeah, could you speak about that a little bit? Um, I'm not, I'm a little bit familiar with it, but uh, I'd like the folks to know what it's all about. Um, well, Families for Private Adoption has been in, an ex in existence for 25, 30 years, which is amazing because it's a volunteer support organization consisting of parents um, who support other people who are coming along in the process 
who are primarily doing non-agency adoption, um, and they do all sorts of um, uh, support, uh, including social events, but uh, also educational events um, to train people how to do this kind of adoption. They have um, their semi-annual uh, all-day seminars coming up on May 17th, for example. And is that in the D.C. area there, too? It's in, it's in northern Virginia, oh, okay. um, in McLean, Virginia, that's just outside of Washington, D.C. Excellent. So this is a totally volunteer-run organization, and, and you're part of that, right? You're, well, you're oh, on the board. I, yes. yes, I'm a member of the board. Okay. Um, okay. And I've been uh, active in the organization ever since my uh, we adopted our daughter. That's awesome. Um, so it, I should uh, probably mention that uh, the, the the other way to find an adoption attorney is obviously through the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. Um, we are a group of about uh, 350 attorneys from all over the country, and a membership in this organization is a meaningful uh, credential because one has to be invited to membership based upon uh, certain qualifications. Um, and you can find us in every people members of our organization in every state. Uh, their website is adoptionattorneys.org, and it's easy because it's broken down by state. So if you if you click on your state, you'll um, a list of all the attorneys uh, uh, who are members in that state will pop up. Yeah, very easy to find on the website. Yeah, that's adoptionattorneysplural.org. Yeah, I, I I've been to that site quite a bit and. Both of our adoptions, we've used uh, attorneys uh, that are part of that organization. So we've had very good, good luck with uh, working with those folks. And also, I, I guess recently, I don't know when they added this, but there's also an agency listing um, on that site as well that lists agencies by state and alphabetical. So these are not every agency, but agencies that Quad A has uh, has worked with. So. If you're looking for an agency or somebody that you want to work with, uh, it's a good place to start. So, Mark, what are the advantages of using an adoption attorney over over an agency or with an agency? What, Why would people say they're just starting out in an adoption and are looking at, do I use an agency, do I use an attorney, or do I use both? What What's the advantages of using an attorney? Well, I guess I would start with uh, a statistic that's probably going to surprise some people. Um, because the, the reason to work with an attorney is because the odds are with you. Um, the statistics show that of newborn uh, children that are placed with non-relatives, 70% um, of them are placed through the non-agency process. Wow. And therefore only 30% are placed through agencies. So that's not something that people know about, but that, that's actually what the statistics show. Wow, yeah, that's, that's pretty big. Well, and, and does every family even need an attorney? To if you're going to do an any newborn adoption, you need an attorney, well, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is something that really uh, I find quite scary that people don't think they need an attorney because every adoption is a legal process, whether it involves an agency or not. Or not, it's uh, in essence a legal process, and in my mind, it's the most important legal process that one could ever go through. So to say that you're going to try to do that without an attorney is just uh, scary to me. And I don't know how I've heard of people doing it and they 
try to do all the legal work themselves. But you're right. That's absolutely scary. Of any circumstance in your life that you want to make sure everything is done, your I's are dotted and T's are crossed, it's this one where you're building your family and you don't want that to break down at all. You want somebody that not only knows the law but is very good at it and is immersed in it and do it every day. And that's you guys. So that's, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Well, uh, do when you're looking at the adoption process then an adoptive family like myself, when we're looking to adopt, we need to get an attorney where we live, but don't you also need an attorney where the birth parents live, if especially if they're in another state? Well, that, that question raises more, uh, or that point raises more than one question, but mm-hmm. let me, let me try to chip away at it. Um, the idea that, um, that a birth parent needs a separate attorney, uh, in an adoption case is something that I think is, uh, fundamental to good practice. Um, however, not every not every state has a law that requires the birth parent to have his or her own attorney. Um, I think it's uh, something that one should do because the ethics rules say that the same attorney can't represent both sides of a of a case. That that seems clear. Um, but what happens if you're proceeding with one attorney? You're engaging in kind of a a dangerous fiction because what you're saying is that you have you the adopting family have an attorney and birth mother simply doesn't have one. So, um, and I don't see how that can happen. In the, in the real world, somebody needs to explain to her how to do the adoption. She probably hasn't been through this before. It's a complicated legal process. So um, what, I, what I do in my practice, and most of my colleagues do, is insist upon separate counsel for, for the birth mother from day one. Um, the law of every state that I know of allows the adopting family to pay for the attorney that represents the birth mother. This is a, a, a matter of social policy. Legislatures believe that birth mothers should have attorneys. They know that she's probably not going to have assets out of, out of which to pay for one, so they make a law that says the adopting family can pay for that. Yeah, and then you get into a, a little bit, I mean, I have a tough situation where you want to, I mean, obviously you don't want a conflict, conflict of interest there. You're paying for an attorney in another state that is representing the birth mother. So yes, you're paying them, but they are totally representing the birth mother. So yeah, it's a little bit of a, I don't know what to say tricky situation, but it's well, it's something to keep something to keep in mind and make sure everybody understands that even though the adopting family is allowed to pay that attorney who's representing the birth mother is duty bound to represent only her interests. Yeah. And and that's true. Even if you're adopting within the state you live in, correct? You still, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, okay. I, I recommend separate counsel for birth parent in a hundred percent of the cases. Yeah. Um, now the, the answer to your question, Tim gets trickier when we, we get into the whole subject that uh, we haven't gotten into yet about what law is going to apply, where are you going to finalize your adoption, things like that, that might affect um, uh, the, the, the attorneys that are going to be retained to represent parties. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I mean, it, it, when, you're, when you're talking about different laws in different states, how do you handle that? I mean, Well, we talked about how different the laws are from state to state. Mm-hmm. So it's fundamentally important that... Uh, that one determines from day one what law is going to be controlling the case um, so they can do that before they make any legal missteps. Um, the, the, the rule that I use to reconcile this issue is called law of the forum. And by forum, I mean the court that one goes to to finalize the adoption. 
And usually, but not always, that's the place where the adopting family lives. Reason for that is because they, they live in a state. One of the rights that comes with being a citizen of a state is the right to use the courts. Normally, um, people who live in one state do not have jurisdiction or the right to use the courts in another state. Um, so as an initial proposition, uh, no matter where the birth mother lives, no matter where the baby's born, um, <coughs> excuse me, the law of the, of the state where the, <coughs> um, the law of the state where the adopting parents live would be available in 100% of the cases. Hmm. Now, a possible exception to that is if the birth mother lives in one of about um, 20 or so states that I call non-resident. What I mean by that is the adopting family is not a resident, but the law of her state says that they have the not the obligation but the option to choose to, to go to court in that state and therefore use those laws. That's why we call it non-resident. Yeah, I've heard of that where we've had some friends that have adopted from another state and they ended up finalizing in that state where the baby was born. And, uh, yeah, and those are that must be one of those states that have that law. So if that situation is presented to uh, the adopting parents, um, they need to do an analysis quickly with their attorney of the law of the two states next to one another, um, not in a vacuum but in the um, context of the facts of the case, and then choose um, which law is the best for the case under the circumstances. Yeah definitely gets complicated that's why you need to <laughs> seek the counsel and that gets us to our our issue about hiring attorneys <laughs> um if the if the adopting parents elect to finalize in the other state then they're going to need an, an attorney there to represent them because their 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 expert adoption attorney in their state is not going to be admitted in that other state and it's not going to be able to uh, go into court for them um plus they wouldn't wouldn't want to pay the travel expenses for the the attorney to travel around the country. Yeah, exactly. In both of our my circumstances, we adopted from other states, and both times we finalized in our own state because, obviously, yeah, you got to go to court, and you have to show up and answer questions and do all that thing there. So it'd be it would be an added expense to try to go to another state. So I can understand it. Wanted to do it in your own, not to mention that, like you said, as having another. Uh, attorney expense. I mean, we get hit with a lot of fees as adoptive families, so I try to minimize those as much as possible. Now, when you do that, Tim, though, um, you're, the attorney in the home state of the adopting family is going to shift into a supporting role. So so he or she's not going to be doing that, that much, and the cost is not going to be that great. The, the primary expense would be to the uh, adopting parent's attorney in the state where you're going to finalize the case. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's what it was in both of our cases. That uh, yeah, the majority of the expense was for the attorney in the placing state. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you adopt through an attorney, I mean, who do you find the expectant mother uh, an attorney? I mean, how do they get an attorney appointed to them? Is it something you guys work out? Uh, you know who can represent them. The best person to represent them well you can tell that there's not that many of us who specialize in adoption law since there's only 350 of us from all over the country who are members of the Academy so it's important to get a recommendation to somebody who's experienced and oftentimes that will come from the adopting parents attorney 
he or she will know of somebody who's in uh, close proximity to where the birth mother lives, and they'll recommend that that person be retained. Yeah, awesome. Uh, the, a big question that comes up usually to for me that I see is if they use an adoption attorney, uh, how does birth mothers get pre and post adoption services like uh, just counseling and things like that? How do you guys provide that kind of thing? Well, counseling, focusing on the counseling, Tim, that's one thing that we emphasize right from the beginning. I recommend that my clients bring it up at or close to the initial meeting with the birth parent. Um, and um, most parts of the country, I know here we're very lucky to have a lot of counselors who are experienced in adoption law, who operate on an in, uh, independent basis. And um, we, we encourage the birth mother to access this counseling uh, refer her to qualified local counselors, and then the law allows the adopting parents to pay that expense for the uh, counselor's time. Yeah, so there's and that can thing. happen both prior to the birth and after the birth. Yeah, absolutely. That's good stuff. That, that's another important question to ask your attorney, your home attorney, is how do you get the services to her, and does the law allow us to pay for that? Because it's important for them to get that counseling, especially pre-adoption, but also post-adoption. Don't want to forget that either. They need they need that counseling, or at least need it available to them. So uh, that's good stuff. Uh, does the attorney also work with the adoptive parents on uh, adoption education? Because when you go through an agency, a lot of them require a certain amount of adoption education, uh, if you if you're going through them, that's part of their whole process. Do you have something similar, or how do you handle that? Well, um, um, another thing in our practice is uh, right from day one, uh, we insist that the adopting family um, do a home study, what's called a home study, and and that is performed by a licensed agency, and it will include the the education process. Um, for those of us who live in the D.C. area, on top of that, we have. Um, the group I mentioned before, Families for Private Adoption, uh, does a lot of education, including the uh, the big seminar that's coming up on May 17th. So it, it happens in the course of their uh, contact with the agency that's doing the home study, and it happens in, in the course of their contact with groups like Families for Private Adoption. Yeah, so it's interesting because when you think about adoption, uh, I've heard of people think, do I go through an agency or do I go through an attorney? Well. When a push comes to shove, when it comes right down to it, you pretty much need both. At least the agency needs to do the home study, and you got to have the attorney to do all the the legal completion, the work that's done through the court. But then beyond that is where you get a little bit of a divide of how you connect with the birth mother, how you do all the other things that go on in the adoption process. Would you agree with that? Or well, Yeah, I agree with it, and, and it leads me to make the point about... Uh, attorneys and agencies working together cooperatively. That's that's the best case scenario because um, both social workers and attorneys uh, play a role in the adoption process. And if there's not this, uh, not any animosity or competition, it's it's much better for the uh, uh, the people using the process, the prospective adopting parents and the birth parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what needs to that's the point that needs to be clear to everybody is that, uh, yeah, it, you can work and should work together and ask a bunch of questions, which leads me to what I want to ask you is what kind of questions should 
we'd be asking an attorney. So say we are just starting the process. We know, okay, we can go to the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys website, find an attorney that's close to us. What do we ask them to start? How do we know that we want to hire them? I think it's um, uh, important to have the hiring of the attorney be one of your first first jobs on your to-do list because you don't want to be doing that at a point in time when, when you're in a hurry-up mode because something's already happening because it's important for you to to choose an attorney uh, who's the kind of person you want to have this sort of a relationship with. So tied to that is I think it's absolutely essential that your, uh, your attorney who's going to be in your home state that you have a face-to-face meeting with him or her where you sit down with them for a substantial period of time and get to know them, let them get to know you, uh, have them explain the process, and um, you need to be, it's not so much uh, particular questions that you want to ask of them, you need to listen to what they're saying, ask your general questions, and, and come to a comfort level where you think this person is the kind of person you want to go through the, this sort of an emotional process with. Absolutely, yes. And ask a bunch of questions about how the whole process works, understand what they'll do for you, what they won't do for you. And a, and really, a big question when people start is, what what's it going to cost? How much is this? And and I think if people know a little bit of it about attorneys, they know what's called a retainer fee. Can you talk about that? Is that a general uh, requirement for adoption attorneys, or how does that work? Well, retainer retainer fees are a product of the individual um, business policy of the of the attorney in question. It's correct that all of us attorneys have have trust accounts where we would put retainers if we receive them, but um, uh, it depends on the situation. Um, when I when I represent an adoptive family, I generally don't ask for a retainer. I have a system where they they pay on a monthly basis as we go along. When they hire the um, um, other attorney to represent the birth mother, she will probably she or he or she will probably want a retainer because they're kind of in an at risk situation because they may be in a faraway state. This may be the only contact they have with the case, and they. They may do some work and then it falls apart and, and they want to make sure they get paid. Whereas um, in my case with the local family, I'm going to have a continuing relationship with them, so I do it on a monthly basis. That's just my personal policy. Some of my other colleagues will get a retainer even if they're on the adopting parent's side. Important, I guess, for the listeners to know what a retainer is because it's not a flat fee. It's money that you place in the attorney's trust account, and it's used uh, in the future against uh, paying for um, services as the money is earned by the attorney. Yeah, so at the end of the adoption, once it's completed, like in our case, uh, we had that done, and we had a retainer fee we paid, and it's generally higher than what they think it's going to cost. That money is put into a trust account. They, they use... Uh, as they get paid um, based on the work they do, like you said, then you get these invoices or statements that say, here's what we did on this date, here's what we did on this date, here's what the cost was. And then at the end, either that retainer fee covered everything or it didn't. If it covered everything and there's some left, you get the refunded amount. Is that how you've seen it? Right, that's that's exactly how it works. Okay. So what's the average cost? Uh and I know it. Uh, obviously, this varies uh, throughout the country based on how much uh, work that needs to be done in in a 
given case and what part of the country you're in, but could you give us generally what the average cost of adoptions that you've handled? Well, the, the, it's surprising that the, the overall cost of, an, of this kind of adoption is much lower than people think it is from listening to media reports. Mm-hmm. Um, in our area of the country, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, generally the overall cost, including the attorney fees and, and other things, is, uh, is less than 20000 mm. um, In some other parts of the country where um, it's, they're, they're paying living expenses and things like that in a more liberal fashion, uh, it can get up much higher than that. But, uh, you know, it depends on uh, where you're doing it and what the culture is in terms of what payments are made. But another related important point is that one of the advantages of uh, non-agency adoption is is control. The adopting parents have control over the process in a, in a number of ways that are important, but one of those would be to control their cost. Um, if they're on a budget like most of us are, they can decide to do things like um, not agree to a case where they have to pay living expenses or not agree to work with a birth mother unless uh, he or she has unless she has access to uh, private insurance or public assistance. Um, they can save on attorney fees by doing certain things themselves rather than having the attorney do it, for example. Yeah, you could find out all those things by asking questions of your local adoption attorney and just how does this work and how can we save the money and what are the places that are smart to spend our money on especially an adoption attorney should be able to provide those kind of details because they're they do it every day so i'm, I'm going to let my clients do as much as they want in terms of doing their own work to save money uh, if they get to a point where they're sort of um, cutting off their nose despite their face and it's something the uh, attorney needs to do i'll just let them know Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I know uh, we've only scratched the surface really of adoption law because there's so many different uh, laws uh, in all the different states. But what else would you like to people to know about adoption law or adoption attorneys in general that maybe is a, a myth or misconception out there? I think I just, just rem- remember the point that I touched on earlier is that um, if you don't feel like you're regaining control of your lives by doing this sort of a process, then you're not doing it the right way. And um, you should feel like you're in control, not feel desperate, uh, that you're able to make choices. It's the power of the word no. If something is not uh, acceptable to you, you just say no no to it, and you go on to the next opportunity. Um, that includes dealing with attorneys. If uh, they're not doing something the way you feel comfortable with, then don't don't work with that attorney. Just tell them how you'd like things to go, and if they don't agree, you have the power to, to control the process by and large. Absolutely. I just thought of one more question. Uh, if you have a problem with an attorney, so say you started working with an adoption attorney near you and you got through the process and you feel like something's eh, it's not right, maybe even unethical, do you can you go to the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, if they're part of that anyway, and report to them? Well, absolutely. That is, uh, in addition to um, inviting people to membership, once someone is a member of the uh, American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, they're subject to discipline by the Academy if they don't do things the right way. So they do entertain uh, complaints from uh, clients of attorneys, and they take them quite seriously. Um, you also, um, 
also have a resource in the local bar association where the attorney's licensed. They'll they'll entertain complaints against attorneys. Absolutely, that's good to know because obviously this is an emotionally charged thing we're doing and building our family. So you got to be a little bit careful there not to fly off the handle, but you also need to, if you have questions or you think people aren't doing things the right way, just ask, ask questions and, and people will investigate and, and tell you whether or not it's happening the right way. That's the importance I think of going through an attorney that's with the quad A is, uh, you have that backing in addition to the bar association. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for your time. I, I know you're you're a busy guy. You got a lot of adoptions going on over there in the in the D.C. area. So, thank you for coming on and and giving your thoughts and experience and sharing with us all about adoption law. There's a lot more I know we can we can talk about. So maybe we'll have to do another show in the future. But I really appreciate your time. You know, I forgot to ask you about how folks wanted to contact you. What's the best way they can contact you? Well, uh, through my website. Okay, and that's the theadoptionadvisor.com, okay? Okay. Very good. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Take care. Appreciate it. All right. That was a great interview with Mr. Mark McDermott. Uh, he uh, graciously gave us all his experience and shared with us what it's like to be an adoption attorney, what it means to be an adoption attorney, and how that can help us. So greatly appreciate his time. Uh what do you think about an adoption attorney? Have you used one? I think if you've completed an adoption, you know the answer to that is yes. If you've not completed an adoption, then hopefully you know now where to go. Uh, and I'll have all of the links that we talked about in the show notes today. If you go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 16. So would you help me get this podcast into the ears of more families just like you at I'd love it if you'd go and leave an honest review on iTunes. It's easy to do. All you have to do is go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash iTunes. Click on view in iTunes and you'll see where you can easily leave a review. Uh, before we go, though, I wanted to share with you um, a couple places to go on my website. Infantadoptionguide.com forward slash start. This is a great place to find a ton of resources about domestic infant adoption. I got all my blog well 90% of my blog posts there and so it's a great place to start with a ton of links also I want to share with you the seven steps to domestic infant adoption my new ebook that's now available on Amazon it's only $3.99 very affordable because I don't want anybody to uh, leave finances as, as an excuse not to learn more about infant adoption so you can get that on Amazon, you can just search for seven steps to domestic infant adoption or just infant adoption guide. Anything like that will help you find that book on Amazon or even make it simpler. You can go to my site, infantadoptionguide.com forward slash seven steps. Give you a little overview of what the book's about and a link to Amazon so you can find it easy. I wish when my wife and I started seven years ago that we would have a podcast like this a website like this information to help just get through, break through the overwhelm. It's so overwhelming. When you first start, you'd have no idea where to go. You're reading a bunch of stuff. You're trying to find out information, what's right, what's wrong. And there's not a lot dedicated to domestic infant adoption. And that's why I created the site and this podcast. So I hope it helps you in your journey. Okay. To wrap up this episode, I got a question for you. 
What do you think about using an adoption attorney in your domestic infant adoption process? Is it something that uh, you know you need to do? Is it something you've already done? If you would go to the show notes for this what, this episode at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 16, you can leave a comment and let me know what you think. I appreciate you listening. And until the next episode, I'll be keeping you in my prayers that your adoption will happen soon. God bless. <laughs>